taking at face value the biblical account of the transfiguration, the dazzling appearance of Jesus on the unnamed mountain, was caused by something resembling a tear in the veil that thinly separates the order of reality in which we live, the mundane world, from the other side, a place of light, presumably, some of which poured temporarily through and bathed Jesus, the Son of God. The aspect of his talking with Moses and Elijah, who soon began to fade away, was, according to some scholars, an attempt by the biblical writers to place Jesus on a kind of level with them, though preeminently. Moses being the supreme lawgiver of Israel, the founder indeed, of the Hebrew people, and Elijah being the exemplary prophet. They're fading away while Jesus remained bathed in glory, demonstrated Jesus as first among equals, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, the answer to all that Israel had longed for down the centuries. So the early church believed, wrote, and proclaimed. An interesting reversal of that face value interpretation came sometime in the seventh century with Maximus the Confessor, also known as Maximus the Theologian and Maximus of Constantinople. He was a Christian monk, theologian, and scholar. Born in Constantinople, ancient Istanbul, of course, about 580 AD. He died in exile on 13 August 662 in Chagari, Georgia, the Eurasian Georgia, of course, in the Caucasus Mountains. Maximus, anyway, believed that the locus of the transfiguration miracle was not the Christ figure, but the three disciples, whose senses, he said, were transfigured. When he wrote that, he was writing in Greek, and the Greek word that he used for transfigured was metamorphosed. Their senses were metamorphosed to enable them to perceive the true glory of Christ, which had been there all along, but that until then had not been visible to ordinary mortals. It was humans, he said, who were transfigured so they could really see the eternal truth. Apparently, by the 13th century, the concept of transfiguration of the believer by the Spirit of God had established itself. 
the spiritual transfiguration of the believer continued to remain into our time a theme for achieving intimate communion with the deity. Maximus the Confessor was an insightful person. He had some other ideas worth pondering also. He took to heart, for instance, the Genesis claim that all of humankind are made in the image of God and that the purpose of salvation is to restore all of us to unity with the deity. This was the generous notion of universal reconciliation. It's actually a sane insight, these rancorous days especially. In the document named 400 Texts on Love, Maximus said, whoever has genuinely renounced worldly things and lovingly and sincerely serves one's neighbors is soon set free from every passion and made a partaker of God's love and knowledge. But I'd like to switch from theology now to a true story of human difficulty. A phone call came recently out of the blue. In the week before Christmas, it came from Charleston, South Carolina, from a man whom I had known decades ago when we met as military school students. After graduation, he had gone on to West Point and I went elsewhere. But from time to time, we had stayed in touch. He told me that his youngest daughter had been with some friends in a park and at one moment hinted that she was going to end her life. The friends did not take her seriously and soon she headed for a nearby bridge. Now she's gone. Her dad was weeping as he told me this. He struggled to ask some religious questions, and I am certain, looking back, that he was desperate to be transfigured, actually. I mean to be able to see and believe that there was and is good out there somewhere, something good that can be held on to and that holds on to us, something that can be trusted ultimately, maybe even the Christ as seen so clearly by the disciples on that mountain long ago. Sometimes, God forbid, yearning for something like that is as real as it gets. His story is not much different from those that others here could tell, unfortunately. And certainly, we do not need a disaster 
of that magnitude to awaken us to a desire for orientation to the ultimate. I mention his extremity only to remind us that whatever we think we that whether we think we need a stable center or not, sometimes it just happens that the ground under us seems not to be there anymore. The transfiguration story reminds us that no matter how hurt, bewildered, frightened, empty, or devastated we may be, we could, by the divine grace, once again see the Christ in his glory at the center of life, of all lives, of the lives of those we love, even those who despaired of life. How this change occurs is, I suppose, a miracle. The divine grace, the grace that goes ahead, that reaches out when one feels unable to move or hardly to breathe. The grace of God does come. Then, as Maximus said, we are transfigured, can at last glimpse who is there, who holds us all in being. Such is the divine love. Such is merciful, outgoing love.